0: I think, sometimes, when documenting the paranormal, when you really are involved in researching and telling stories around the strange, you can become a little disillusioned. And you can begin to construct a container in which can hold the unknowable, some process, anything, to help you start making sense or to better contextualize it all. In that way, it all becomes an abstraction until a synchronicity jumps out at you, the universe tempting you to come and play, to follow it back down that rabbit hole. I've shared quite a bit about my own feelings on this process, but what I hadn't considered was the quality of impact to one's psychological state when the abnormal appears right in front of you, that flying disc too clear to be true, that ghost-like visage floating above your bed. Or a character with powers that challenges your beliefs in what is real and what can really be. That's why standing here in Brooklyn, I was so excited to meet Devin Person and witness firsthand what many would call an authentic wizard in both philosophy and presentation. I wanted to experience what seeing him in full garb for the very first time would do to my own version of reality. Would I begin to believe that magic is in front of me? Could I lose my grip, my narrative drifting into fiction? What I did learn while recording Devin's feature, which premiered as the first edition of Euphemet's second season, was that whatever magic is created by bringing the fantastical into reality. This merging of myth and moderna is not without its own origin. And we learned how a person becomes a wizard while remaining very much a person. No pun intended, Devon Person went through his own process of ritual to embody the wizard archetype. A process that challenged his own sense of reality. And on this edition of Obscura, we experience his rites of passage. I'm Jim Perry. This is Obscura, a look back at the stories of Euphemat. This time, with ritual.
1: Uh, reality is a democracy. So if you and I are sitting in a room and I'm looking at a piece of paper and I say, that's blue. And you say, that's red. We don't know what color that paper is. It's very weird that you and I can't agree. Maybe you're colorblind, maybe I'm colorblind. Maybe the lighting's weird. Maybe there's some trick happening, like, I don't know. But then when a third person comes in and says, actually, it's definitely blue, we're now more convinced that it's blue. And you can continue to extrapolate that out. And there's areas where, you know, a bunch of people can be wrong. There's that paradigms are flawed but I was aware that I needed to sort of wage an information campaign, a PR campaign, to truly be a wizard. Because if I said, I'm a wizard and I control the secrets of the universe and I'm the most powerful magician that's ever lived, and people are like, well, then why are you in the back of a a cult bookstore talking to nobody? Like, why are you on the subway shitting your pants and ranting, like, You're not a wizard, you're a crazy person. So I needed to convince people that I was a wizard so that when someone said, he's not a wizard, somebody else would go, yes, he fucking is. I do wizard sessions. When people really want to work with me and they're at a crossroads and they're trying to figure out some issue in their life, I talk to them. I sit with someone one-on-one and I kind of map out where it seems like they are and where that issue is. And a lot of that is a combination of empathy and intuition of hearing things that they're emphasizing that they don't realize they're emphasizing. Um, If they are murky on something, getting them to write a list, like doing all these different exercises. And it's amazing what just that simple act of listening and a little bit of pushing can do where you'll talk to someone and they're like, yeah, I don't know, I'm thinking about job A or job B. And like job A, like they're like, face turns down and they frown and they look so slumped and then job b their face lights up and then i just repeat that back to them like did you realize when you said job b this is what you look like and they go no but yeah and i'm like fuck job a let's talk about job b and they're like yeah and they just like suddenly they have permission to like follow that thing because it's really hard when you're like in the problem it's really hard to decipher which ways up and how how to get out of it you can't see it So yeah, how do I want to talk about this? I was exposed to magic through chaos magic, and I pretty early on decided that if the whole idea of chaos magic is you got to figure out what works for you and use your own imagination, then why should I spend all of my time memorizing the ideas that people You know, not even in the ancient past, like in the '80s, came up with and then argue over the details of like, you know, Peter Carroll versus Phil Hine, like who whose system is better. Or like, I never cared about the inner workings of an egregore and debating all of that. I feel like words and concepts are labyrinth, and the deeper you go, it just gets more fractally, and you can get lost. Like two metalheads fighting over the difference between thrash metal and Finnish thrash metal. All right, whatever. So I had been doing magic on my own for a while and doing my own like loose rituals, you know, doing some sort of banishing and closing, but nothing that was so intense or prescriptive. And right before I moved away from Austin, I did DMT with some friends, which I think going back to that idea of existential dread, I, you know, was very much driven to like, I want to touch God and see what the universe is made out of. Let's do that some friends and I did this little ceremony and we smoked the DMT one at a time. I was the last one to go. And I think I observed everyone doing it. And I was able to like hold it in the most and really blast off. And they also left reality too. And I was like, Oh, I definitely broke through. I left the room. I was in some weird melting Nickelodeon place. Like I did it. I did the thing. And then we came back and we closed the ritual out and then we went and got tacos I did DMT. A few years later, when I'm in New York and I've become a wizard, a friend of mine had some DMT and we were making plans to do it and he's like, "Can you do a little ceremony for us?" I said, "Yeah, sure." So, again, I, you know, I'm not trying to force anyone through a long complicated belief system that's not to them. I'm trying to meet people where they're at. So I do this little pretty informal ceremony, but in the opening invocation, guided meditation, I talk about this idea of we're going to have one experience right now here in this room, but then there's another experience that's going to unfold over time. And what we experience today is going to blossom and grow in the days and weeks and months to come in our dreams, in our stray thoughts. Again, I ended up drawing the short straw, so I was the last one to go, so it went around. And I think there might have just been, you know, that little bit of unsmoked DMT from everybody else's dose left at the bottom of the pipe. But for whatever reason, my experience was totally, totally different. Uh, I immediately felt this, like, release. Like, there was this you know, background buzz that I'd heard my whole life and suddenly it was silent or there was this tension that suddenly was gone and it was just Oh right, like this. And um, it's it's so hard to you know describe the experience, so I don't really want to get lost in that. I I eventually thought that this was something that was a global phenomenon that had happened. Like I'd forgotten that I'd smoked DMT. That was totally irrelevant. And somewhere someone had flipped a switch and caused the same way. And humanity had just changed consciousness. It was in an instant. The universe was in a different way. We were all united. And then like the pressure of, like, oh my god, I'm thinking all of humanity's thoughts at once kind of folded in on itself, and I was stuck in fractals for a long time, and it was, you know, every other DMT story. And when I came out, it was very jarring. It was, you know, my friend, I think, said... Took a truck, <laughs> and now you're back. And I was like, whoa, whoa, what? And took a minute to calm down. And it was interesting because I'd watched everyone else blast off, and everyone just hits the pipe, lays back, goes whoa, whoa, holy shit, and then like five, to ten minutes later comes back up. And they were telling me they're like, you were clawing at the air, you were pulling on your beard, like it was like 25 minutes, like it was a different thing. A little rattled but we went to like a noise show afterwards i was like back on it it was fine and then i went to work and went back to my normal life and for a week i was like oh i i've seen the oneness of the universe i'm in touch with the flow this is great this is so cool i can look around and see everyone reflected in myself and myself reflected in them on the subway like this is really nice Then, after that first week, it started just getting hairier. I really started getting afraid that I was going to kind of fall... Like, everyday normal consciousness felt very fragile to me. And I felt like at any moment, I could sort of slip back into that world of fractals. And I had to ask myself, well, do I want to stick to the paradigm where like the more mainstream paradigm of this is a drug experience if that happened it would just be something you know spasming in my brain and everyone would just see me collapse onto the floor or Is there truly an infinite multiverse and I could fall out of this reality and not know how to get back? And I really like this reality. I've got a lot invested here, you know? I really really enjoy the problems that I'm working on and uh, the things that I'm trying to do. And so that fear of psychedelic dissolution started becoming more like a panic attack. Like I would be talking to my coworkers or trying to have a conversation with someone and I would just be a little bit like in a movie when like a bomb goes off and like everything's silent and so I'm like trying to hold it together and I'm like oh the table feels like it's going sideways this is not good I just was really uh, having a hard time and my prophecy foretold it was coming in my dream so I would have dreams where I was back in that state of ego death dissolution and then I would wake up out of that like (gasps) oh my god what the fuck I finally saw one of my friends who had actually been part of both ceremonies, a guy from Austin that moved to New York, and we chatted about it. He was like, oh, you have also Googled DMT PTSD. I was like, yes, definitely. And we commiserated that uh, you get really shitty results when you Google that. You get a bunch of journalists that are talking about how ayahuasca is going to save everybody from depression, and it's this cure-all. And I'm like, no, this, this has fucked me up. Like, this is really harsh and really intense and I don't have guidance, I don't have a structure and I finally found like an academic paper that someone had written on psychedelic emergencies, I think they called it, but they were talking about how even some of their subjects were people that had done ayahuasca like 40 times and then had an experience that was really intense, really different and left them totally shook up, hard to go back to work, like not really functioning, maybe depressed, maybe anxious, just really Kind of like shaken up, and in the in the paper they were very explicit that there's often this idea of like well shamanism, you know when you break open the head you get the call and then you you're, you're the shaman, and they said absolutely not like. If you're in a culture that already has that framework, great. But if you're coming from a contemporary Western culture, you do not have that framework. It does not apply to you. You can't step across the boundaries to borrow it in a native way because it's not your actual cultural experience. You didn't grow up with this idea. There's not really a, a good set of options for people that have this things. There's limited guidance, and it's hard to find people who are trained therapists or psychedelic professionals that are able to guide you through this. But they found that most of the people that they had surveyed who had had these um, experiences, within a year or so, like, got back together. And sometimes, and I think frequently, there was that idea of um, post-traumatic growth, where, like, they went through it, and then it was, it ended up, like, they're like, okay, (laughs) that was really gnarly, but I, I got something from it. At this time, my mom was also fighting terminal cancer. I don't think it was like a one-to-one causative thing, but I think that having that in the background probably was a a factor in it. It was unpleasant and it lasted for months. I finally read something about panic attacks where it talked about how you go from actually having a panic attack to you are so afraid of panic attacks that you have the fear of them as what you're actually suffering from. said you know what for all of these moments of terror that i've had about uh, like dissolving into fractals in the middle of like a work meeting it hasn't happened like i i i haven't even had a moment where i've had to like run out of a room or like you know hyperventilate or like do anything crazy so i said i'm gonna just not worry about those when it happens like i'm gonna kind of let go of that i did a little ritual around um was kind of getting back on like a more even keel and uh, i was going to have this big presentation at the end of a month um this like talk about wizards that i was doing with a friend that was this like big multimedia thing and i was like all right i've got a bunch of work to do let's kind of put a ritual framework around it and did that and then a couple of days later i woke up from a dream and if you ever had those dreams like it's like you're sleeping in and like sleep feels so good and you're like ah. I'm working something out like you know it doesn't make sense logically but you just feel you're like no it's so important for me to keep sleeping in like hit that snooze like these ideas are great and I woke up having that feeling and I was like all right I don't know what happened but like something clicked in the dream last night and then from that moment on I was like things started getting better and I kind of came out of the like doom and fear because a lot of it I think was this idea of the dark side of cosmic apotheosis. We always talk about, mysticism always talks about oneness with God being such a beautiful, wonderful thing. Like, we are the universe. We're going to wake up. You are the universe. But, I don't know. I'm pretty other-oriented. It's very lonely being everything. And I kept having these moments of, like, if I smoked weed at all, I would, like, instantly go back to that space and I'm like, oh, I can sense the kind of end state of existence. Like post the singularity as every piece of matter in the knowable universe becomes aware of every other piece of information and it all folds in and basically the entire thing that is the universe realizes itself and then that end state what do you do like heaven is a place where nothing happens like there's nothing to be done there's nothing new to do there's no one else around it is alone and it's terrifying and I know I like other people that are into the and i like well it's beyond that I'm like alright alright You know, maybe I got to the, the gate and I thought I was all the way there who knows but I, it made me think of Super Mario World where you can like go through those star levels and you can get to like the side door to Bowser's Castle and I was like oh I got to Bowser's Castle and I was not ready for it like like the shortcut doesn't give you the tools to do anything. So, there's religions that are really focused on this world is an illusion. It's about this other world that doesn't even look like this world. Or, but religions that are like, no, it's the here and now that matters. And that's kind of where I ended up on the other side of this whole experience was this idea of there's all of the people going up the mountain. You know, they want to go meet the guru, they want to go up the mountain. And then there's the person who's walking down and they're like, well, what did you learn? He's like, yeah, there's some good stuff at the bottom of the map. Like, you know, there's more to life than standing in line waiting to talk to the guru. There's riding bikes and kissing people and holding puppies and watching boring TV and waiting in line at the bank and all of these things are part of the beauty of existence. And I think we forget that sometimes in this.
0: Thank you for listening to Obscura. I want to thank all of my Patreon members. You have helped fund Season 2, but we need more help. Consider joining to get access to Euphemet the original series, brand new conversations, and more. And to follow us on social, to watch short films, find it all on euphemet.com. Euphemet Season 2 continues on October 31st, with monthly editions following on the last Thursday of each month. I'd like to thank CBS and Audio Boom. their support. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. Subscriptions and the reviewing really helps more eyes see Euphemet, and it's so appreciated. This has been Euphemet Obscura. I'm Jim Perry, and until next time, keep looking up.